Today's reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses uh, 3 to 14, and you'll find this on page 1109 in the Church Bibles. It's entitled, Spiritual Blessings in Christ. Let us give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for in our union with Christ, he has blessed us by giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. Even before the world was made, God had already chosen us to be his through our union with Christ, so that we would be holy and without fault before him. Because of his love, God had already decided that through Jesus Christ, he would make us his sons. This was his pleasure and purpose. Let us praise God for his glorious grace, for the free gift he gave us in his dear son. For by the sacrificial death of Christ we are set free, that is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God, which he gave to us in such large measure. In all his wisdom and insight, God did what he had purposed and made known to us the secret plan he had made already and decided to complete by means of Christ. This plan, which God will complete when the time is right, is to bring all creation together, everything in heaven and on earth, with Christ as head. All things are done according to God's plan and decision, and God chose us to be his own people in union with Christ because of his own purpose based on what he had decided from the very beginning. Let us then, who were the first to hope in Christ, praise God's glory. And you also became God's people when you heard the true message, the good news that brought your salvation. You believed in Christ, and God put his stamp of ownership on you by giving you the Holy Spirit he had promised. The Spirit is the guarantee that we shall receive what God has promised his people. And this assures us that God will give complete freedom to those who are his. Let us praise his glory. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Stuart, for reading to us this morning from Ephesians. As Fiona says, we're, um, we're really celebrating this morning. We're, um, we've celebrated welcoming Lucas into to Camborne Church and Amy and Wayne, and we've celebrated the moving on up of um, our youth and children's groups, and we hope they're having a fantastic time now. And we're beginning a new series, and this new series with um, just a few... Um, Interventions, if you like, will take us all the way through from today until the start of Advent with um, other uh, things for harvest and remembrance and, and a few others creeping in as well. But it makes sense we, as we start to look through um, Ephesians that we double back briefly to, to the author um, who, who wrote this letter and in fact several of, of the letters that we've been looking at um, recently You see, Paul is the subject of one of the greatest transformations we read about in Scripture. There there are several transformational 
um, that happen in the Bible. Um, But the conversion of Saul um, into Paul is perhaps one of the most marked. Um, And if you're interested, you can go to Acts chapter 9, where you'll find Saul, the great persecutor of the church, who went from house to house, searching for and imprisoning men and women um, who were followers of Jesus. Now, Saul has a conversion experience. He meets with Christ in in an almighty way on on a road to Damascus. And in that moment, life changes forever. Um, We call it a Damascus Road-style conversion when we talk about how people come to faith sometimes. And and it harks back to the events of Acts chapter 9, where Paul, who was Saul, who, who, you know, was zealous... Um, in his persecution of Christian people, uh, and intentional about it, and systematic about it, um, suddenly uh, was blinded by a light, and his physical body changed. He was blinded. Um, He was later to regain his sight, but in that moment, he was blinded, and his mindset began to change, body, mind, and soul. And from that point on, Paul became one of the greatest um, spreaders of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the early church. And people, uh, in fact, loads of people came to faith because of Paul's witness and Paul's testimony. And Paul finds himself in prison. Um, and many of the New Testament letters we ascribe to Paul are written, uh, we call them prison letters. Um, so letters like Ephesians, letters like Colossians, we were reading about Philemon um, the, other, the other week, um, were penned by Paul, uh, we believe, um, from, from prison. And this transformation gives us hope that the work that Christ did in Paul, he can do in us uh, as well. And in fact, um, throughout the course of this year in praise and worship, uh, we've been having testimonies. Uh, We've been hearing about people's stories of how God has been at work in their lives. And we pray for Peter tonight as as he brings his story about how God has been at work in his life. But testimonies and stories of transformation encourage us that there is a work to be done in our lives And as we start looking through Ephesians today, this is my prayer that we encounter um, the means by which our own lives will continue on this journey of transformation. And so in verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 1 we read, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, never make the mistake of skipping over individual verses, especially like this, um, because they always have a point to make. Here at the start of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul is stating that God is the Father, who is the King, uh, Father of Jesus, who is the King and the long-promised Messiah. Paul wants to make quite clear that in an age of sorcerers, um, pagan gods, uh, false prophets, teachers who vie for the attention of the people, that there is only one true God, that there is only one God, and he is the Father of, of Jesus Christ. And it's when we put our faith in him that we open up the way of transformation. 
This God is the one who created the world and revealed himself through Jesus. What follows verse 2 from verses 3 to 14 is a prayer of praise and thanksgiving as Paul worships God for his work of salvation in people's lives. Paul tells of how God chose us, purposed us, empowered us and sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Paul is setting out that there is one God who we should worship because there was only one God who has chosen us, purposed us, empowered us and and sealed us or equipped us with the Holy Spirit to live lives for him. So I just want to go through a few of those things with us this morning. So let's look at what it is to be chosen. Now for many people, uh, school years are some of the happiest times of our lives. Um, for many, they're times of discovery, um, they're times of growth, uh, physically, emotionally, psychologically. They're times when we discover all manner of relationships. They're, they're, they're times, you know, when, when we go through, if you like, a transformation. For others, school years can be really hard times. They can be times that, that leave us scarred um, in some cases. Um, some people, unfortunately, encounter issues around bullying and being marginalised during their school years. And there's that welcome. And there's that awful experience, isn't there? You know, I, I don't know if you've had this. I, I hope you haven't. Um, but when we're, you're in that PE lesson and they're picking teams, um, and, and, you know, the one who is known to be the, the most agile or, or the best at football or rugby or whatever it is um, gets picked first. And then there's that series of choosing until you've got that last one person standing there. And I'm not looking for sympathy, uh, but I was never very good <laughs> at sport at school. So I, I, I know that place um, in my own life. And it's a horrible place to be, isn't it? Because you see everyone else chosen, you feel they have value because they're sporty or because they're confident or, you know, because they're clever. And then suddenly it's just you and you're on that side of the line when everyone else has been chosen. And go on, give me an R then. Bless you, thank you. I could feel there was something in the room that wanted to be expressed. (laughs) But, you know, there's this contrast between that sort of experience which we encounter at school, which, which on a serious level can actually tell us that, that we have no value and, and affect our self-esteem. And there's a contrast between that kind of experience and the experience that we read about in Ephesians chapter 1, where we read this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now just before we get into the detail of that verse, just let it sink into your souls. Feel the contrast between situations where we have felt that we have no value um, or no self-worth and contrast it with the reality that God willingly and joyfully chose you to be in him even before the world was created. When I was a a church youth worker and talked about the subject of identity, this was one of the scriptures that constantly grabbed 
my attention um, because one of the experiences of, of um, especially secondary school years, I guess, is that experience of, of working out your identity over and over again um, as, as you enter into all sorts of relationships and new experiences, asking the question, who am I? Um, how am I perceived? What is my self-worth? And whenever I did talks um, to, um, and youth group sessions on the subject of identity, this was one of the verses that I kept going back to because it tells us that God chose you to be you. Um, essentially, God chose you to be you. And I used to say to the young people who were gathered, um, I was a youth worker near Reading, um, that you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. God chose you to be you. He created you as you are. And he created you as you are before he gave a second thought to the creation of the world on which we stand. You were his first masterpiece. He created you to be you. And so don't let yourself be deceived by the influences on your life, which will tell you that because, you know, you don't like the clothes that other people wear, or you don't like the music that other people listen to, or you don't choose the career that everyone wants you to choose, um, that you are any less of a person because you are God's masterpiece, created, predestined before the creation of the world from the depths of eternity God meant you to be you. There's a second point here, though, and it moves from the personal out to something much larger. God chose us in love and grace, but he also chose us so that we might be a part of his bigger plan to offer this transforming love that we can know for ourselves to the whole world. So cast your minds back, if you will, to um, Lent this year and our journey through the book of Exodus and the story of God appointing people to be involved in the liberation of his people from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And I hope as you, as you cast your eyes over Ephesians chapter 1 that you can hear the parallels to, um, of that story to Paul's prayer in Ephesians God chose us so that like Moses in, in the Exodus, we might be involved in bringing about God's work of freedom. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people devoted to God. You were chosen. Secondly, you were purposed. We are a purpose-driven people, to use the language of Rick Warren in Purpose-Driven Life, which I think some of you have, have encountered before. Paul says this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. I shared that God has chosen us for a purpose. What did God promise Abraham, Isaac and Jacob all those years before Paul? God promised them Canaan at a point in their lives uh, when the people of Israel were, were in a situation, a place of slavery. And God promises the, the leaders of Israel a place of freedom. Do you, do you know that experience when life is crushing you? Um, when everything seems to be going wrong and someone comes with a smile and says there's hope. 
and you kind of want to be nice and entertain them and say, yes, okay, yes, I know I should be hopeful, but you just feel absolutely awful in that place. And I guess it must have been something like that for the people of Israel. You know, God promising their leaders that this promised land, a land which the scriptures tell us will flow with milk and honey as their inheritance. And they're sighted in a place of slavery and captivity, and it will take them decades to realize the promise that God makes. But at the heart of the promise that God made um, was this land of their own. He didn't say it would be easy to get to, but he did promise that at the end of the journey there would be this inheritance. And there were people who dropped off along the way, who lost vision and purpose as the decades of journeying in the wilderness took their toll and they lost sight of the promise of that inheritance at the end of the journey. But God remained faithful and brought the Israelites their inheritance and the people of Israel entered Canaan. So here's where we come into all of this again. This, this passage has been, in a, in a sense, termed by some the new exodus, um, that far, far from looking for Canaan, that we are God's church, and it's the church that God calls to use as, as the sort of new Israel, if you like, the people who will win people for Christ, who will respond to the brokenness of the world and bring that revelation of God's love and grace and accounts and testimonies of transformation in people's lives. And so now Paul is not writing um, to the Israelites on their journey to Canaan, but Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he's encouraging them to be who they are and all they can be in Christ and together to be the church of God, spreading the good news of the gospel wide and far. And thousands of years later, we stand in the line of this inheritance as the church not in Ephesus, but in Camborne, as God's people in this place, as God's church together. Isn't that just incredible that from the very depths of eternity, God purposed you to be his chosen people? And just as it's no accident that you are you, it's no accident that you are here in this time, in this place, and that we are here together to be the church of God, bringing the story of his transforming love to Camborne. That, 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 that really just astounds me that God can purpose and provide um, in that level of detail. And in the vision exercise we began before the summer, informed by the past, we dared to begin to look to the future. Informed by all the heritage and all the values that we cherish, we began to say, Lord, where are you leading us? What are you purposing for us in the next chapter of our lives? And we continue to pray and discern as we go through that process. So we are a purpose-driven people. Chosen, purposed. Thirdly, and, and finally, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. 
living the Christian life was never promised to be easy. Um, In fact, in the Scriptures themselves, in the Gospels themselves, the invitation is to take up a cross, a medieval instrument of torture. There was never any delusion or deceit in Christ's invitation to follow him. There, there There was great promise in that invitation, but there was never any deceit that it would be an easy road. A friend of mine, uh, when I was reading over my notes this morning, posted on Facebook um, this picture um, of, um, uh, well, two pictures contrasting each other. Uh, and one was of our plan, uh, which was a sort of gentle incline um, towards our ambition in life. But it was a very straight um, incline um, that went gently up, and it was a, an easy walk or ride or drive or whatever you want into, into our ambition, our plan for our life. And then contrasting completely underneath was a second picture um, where you had this incline again, but along the way there were these precarious mountain bridges um, with pieces of string and you know pieces of wood that you wouldn't want to put too much weight on. And there were these stormy seas along the way which you wouldn't want to get stuck into. And at the end was the inheritance that God promises to bring earth and heaven together and to most fully reveal his kingdom. But to get there was an almighty uh, journey. Living the Christian life is not easy. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, I'm sorry I'm saying these things. It's it's probably not the greatest advert for coming back and participating in the story. But it's one heck of a journey, my friends. And God promises to be with us along the way. Do you remember what it was that guided an entire nation from Egypt to Canaan? Cloud and fire guided the Israelites day and night through those long years in the wilderness. Cloud and fire led the Israelites from slavery in Egypt to freedom in Canaan. And we rely, or or we should rely as Christians and as the church, on the guidance of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live that life that God has called us to. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is much, much more than some form of divine tom-tom or or sat-nav. The Holy Spirit is not just about guiding us, but the Holy Spirit reveals God to us. God has deposited into our lives the Spirit of God so that God's presence may indwell us, may, may be with us, not just to show us the way, but to transform our lives into the likeness of Christ. You have the presence of God living within you. That is how Christ transforms and renews our mind. That is how testimonies like St. Paul's of God's work in our lives come about, because God has deposited within each one of you, within each one of us, the Holy Spirit, to bring about the work which he purposed for us and which he chose us to have uh, within us. Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as being part of our inheritance, revealing the Father heart of God and God's work of transformation to us. So God chose you. God, God purposed you. And God has empowered you and sealed all the work that he has been doing in your life and all the work that he will do in your lives with the seal of the Holy Spirit. 
so that we may be empowered to live as the people and as the church of God in this place. And my friends, I am excited to know what comes next for us as a Christian people here. We see small signs all the time of what God is doing in this place. And we rejoice and we give thanks to him for those, for those signs. But I'm so excited to know more of God's plan and purpose for your lives and for our life together as a church. Shall we just pause and pray for a second? Lord, we may come here today at all stages of our faith journey. We may come here not knowing you at all, with questions in our minds, barriers that hitherto we've been unable to overcome. We may come here today, Lord, having known you for a long time, but having grown weary, just like some of the Israelites in the desert grew weary. We may come here today, Lord, full of faith and searching out your purposes for us. But Father, we pray that wherever we are, that you would meet us. That you would fan into flames the gift of your spirit within us. That you would continue that work of transformation within us. We ask for your protection from influences other than you so that the only thing that has influence over our lives is the love and grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, who has called us and purposed us and empowered us to do all things to your praise and glory. Amen.